Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Today we are going to talk about the appointment of trustees for sale and that might sound a bit weird so I might just set up that legal concept for us at the start of the discussion so then we can get into it. Right? Sometimes people who co-own a piece of real property, you and I might own some land together and we can't agree on what we're going to do about it. We can come to the court and pursue it to a piece of legislation that we're going to get into talking about. You and I or you or I can come to the court and say, hey look we're not getting along. Uh, can we please get an order appointing some third-party trustees to become the trustees, the legal owners of this land, to sell the land and then pay the money to us in our shares after taking their fees from it. So that's what we're talking about today. But today we're talking about a plaintiff and a bunch of defendants. And we're talking about a piece of land that is divided into sevenths. And our plaintiff today owns one fortieth of a five-seventh portion of a piece of land. And it's a fairly particular piece of land. Uh, it borders a national park and the various co-owners of the land um, have an ideal, have a view that it's going to become a multiple occupancy piece of land. But for the moment, there is no planning approval for it, no development approvals. It's contrary to the zoning laws and it is contrary to what is required in relation to the use of land in this area. But nonetheless, they're all co-owners. And the way they deal with the co-ownership is that each co-owner is going to have a sphere of influence, is how they sort of describe their little area of the land. You have your sphere of influence up here, I'll have my sphere of influence here. It might be that you and I share a road or something like that and so um, as co-owners we try to deal with uh, the issue in relation to these various spheres of influence. Now what is also important is that from the early 1980s when this arrangement is put together there is a policy document and the policy document contains a number of things and it attempts to deal with the co-owners rights as between themselves and the way in which the land is going to be managed. Now, there is one term in that policy, we use the word policy a little bit loosely because the degree of formality of that document is open to question, but there's a degree of it that suggests that no one can sell their share in the land to anyone else without all uh, shareholders or co-owners agreeing, and that no one can cause the property to be sold, I can't cause yours to be sold, you can't cause mine to be sold, without all owners agreeing. And that is more or less the suggestion made that is what the effect of this policy is. Now, what is challenging is that with the passage of time, there are complexities that arise. So our plaintiff today, remember our 156th owner, um, they acquire their 156th share in the property by purchasing it uh, in or around 2010. They purchase it for $60,000 and they purchase it from a person they were in a uh, close relationship with previously and, and there's a continued link there but they're no longer in a relationship at the time of that person, uh, time of that purchase. And our purchaser hopes that by purchasing this land they will be able to deal with it as they see fit including building a dwelling, they'll be able to continue to own it and they'll be able to bequeath their interest in the property uh, pursuant to their will in their estate that their beneficiaries of their estate can take it when they die. So they assume all these ownership rights. Now, what happens is in about 2013, there's a bit of a dispute, and from 2013, the plaintiff does not return to the property at all. So the little sphere of influence that they own 
or that they have property rights in relationship to lies dormant and the driveway to access that sphere of influence they own is actually through the vendor of their share, the person they were formerly in a personal relationship with and as you might imagine um, that relationship has sort of soured a little bit. Now, um, the plaintiff, for reasons that I suspect are reasonably obvious, uh, gradually forms the view that they would like to sell their portion and sort of get out of the arrangement. And they sort of look around for interest uh, among potential purchasers and they don't end up arriving at a number that they're happy with. So there's no deal to be done. And uh, what is interesting, just at this stage, if I can just reflect on the valuation evidence that the court gets to. Now, because this is section 66G, the valuation stuff is not quite as relevant, um, or indeed, strictly speaking, not relevant at all, but I'll just raise it here for an understanding. The value of the land is very slightly less than $1 million, but that valuation is for it being sort of unimproved, more or less. And so there's a query of, well, this land has been improved, but none of the improvements comply with zoning laws or development applications. And so, that means council could demolish them tomorrow if council was so inclined. It means that insurers are not going to be particularly excited about giving insurance policies, and indeed the houses are uninsured, um, is my understanding, in their, in their form at the time of this judgment. And there's a big bushfire risk, because they're, com they're not compliant with the bushfire regulations as well. And so the question is, well, uh, how much do you value the dwellings built on land um, where those dwellings are vulnerable to being demolished and burnt down and are uninsured and all that sort of thing? And the answer is you certainly do not value them as much as compliant dwellings and you end up treating them as sheds. That's just a small aside to say that before the litigation was commenced, the plaintiff was trying to sell their share and trying to arrive at a valuation. And one of the valuations was, great, the land's worth a little bit less than a million. Uh, divide that into 56 and a 156th share is X dollars, and the plaintiff wasn't happy to do, to do a deal at X dollars. There were other numbers that the plaintiff was unwilling to accept as well, and I don't say that as a criticism of the plaintiff at all, nor does the court criticise the plaintiff's conduct. And so, what the plaintiff does is approach the court for the form of orders that I referred to earlier. Approach the court to say, hey look, I'm a co-owner of this land, I want to turn to section 66G of the Conveyancing Act here in New South Wales, and I want to cause the appointment of independent trustees to become the owner of this land, sell it, and distribute all of the proceeds of sale in accordance with that act. That distribution will include the payment of the trustees' fees and sometimes the legal fees that we'll get to in a moment. Um, and that is the application brought. Now, as a matter of course, it is very often that these applications succeed. There are a couple of wrinkles here that I need to work through. The defendants, and it's a lot of them, are a lot of the co-owners who resist this application. One of the things they say is that this application would be in breach of the policy. Remember I referred to that policy earlier that had um, a bit of no one can sell shares unless everyone agrees, uh, no one can get out of this thing or sell the property unless everyone agrees. Well, what the court found was that various co-owners, including the vendor co-owner, sold their share without the approval of everyone. They found that people were buying shares without being given notice of the policy, and frankly, that the community was being run from time to time in breach of the policy, just whenever it was convenient to breach the policy, it was breached, and whenever it was convenient to comply with, it was complied with. And so it didn't really uh, represent a way of dealing with the property in the manner that was suggested by the defendants. And further, until 2018, there was only one copy of it. It seemed to be just be an original hand-in-hand-to-hand, uh, -hand -hand, and some coroners knew it existed, some didn't. Uh, and so it wasn't taken to be a document that governed the relationships between the parties. 
Now, there are a number of other things that the defendants raise. They said, hey, it would be unconscionable for you to take a benefit. You only own this at a 156th. It'd be unconscionable for your tiny little share to cause the rest of us to have to liquidate our assets. These are our homes, some of us, uh, and that will be an extreme hardship. And what the court found was, that doesn't matter uh, in the context of section 66G. So, hardship, extreme or otherwise, was not found to be sufficient to ground um, resistance against uh, the 66G application. There were other issues raised. A proprietary estoppel argument was set aside before um, the hearing went ahead. The defendants left that alone. But they did maintain an equitable estoppel argument. And in essence, they were unable to say what the representation was made by the plaintiff that they relied upon and how that sort of equitable estoppel arranged arose, especially in circumstances where the plaintiff was unaware this policy existed and there was no record of the plaintiff agreeing to the policy in any case. So they failed on that basis. They also failed on the basis of unconscionability, of suggesting that, oh hey, what if some of us have paid a substantial amount of money to build our dwellings and maintain roads and whatever else, and now it's just all going to be liquidated and we're going to lose the value for that and it's just going to be dealt out in 56 um, portions. Well, the plaintiff, as part of their application and with respect correctly, um, dealt with the ability for some co-owners to apply for distributions from the trust, equitable distributions, to deal with um, investments made in the land, um, and they deal with it that way on the basis of equitable interest. So each of the defendant's arguments fails. And so the 66G orders are made. Two questions remain. One question is the identity of the trustees, and the plaintiff proposes trustees who are of, with the greatest of respect, um, what would appear to me to be reasonable um, charge-out rates, and they're located in Tamworth, which is some sort of half-day drive or so the judge takes judicial notice of um, away from the property, and they are compared with the defendant's suggested trustees who charge at a similar rate that I say, with the greatest of respect, strikes me as very reasonable. Um, they are located much closer to the property. And the judge says, look, there's not much to divide these two sets of proposed trustees. For the sake of the possibility that there might be a visit or two to the property required, I'm going to select and appoint the trustees selected by the defendants. So the only now remaining issue is the issue of legal costs. What tends to happen in section 66G applications is that the legal costs of you, one co-owner, and me, another co-owner, and them, another co-owner, are paid out of the proceeds of sale. That happens unless there has been unreasonable conduct. And so what the plaintiffs say is, well, 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 maybe our, maybe my fees can get paid out of the sale proceeds, but the defendants have behaved so unreasonably that they should pay their own fees. We shouldn't have that coming out of the proceeds of sale of this property. The court says in short, yes, that's right. Aside from the fees the defendants incurred relating to their respectfully you know, wise and successful suggestion of local trustees charging at a reasonable rate, um, the defendants can have those fees paid out of the proceeds of sale, but all the other fees, no, the defendants have got to wear them themselves. And so that, I hope, gave you an insight onto the likelihood of an owner of property appointing trustees for sale pursuant to 66G, even if they only own a 156 share. And I look forward to speaking again soon over another coffee and in respect of another case note. Cheers.